This is Soundtrack, a music podcast about the music that impacts our lives. Every episode is a conversation of how music has shaped and influenced one's life, because music is the soundtrack to everyone's story. Soundtrack is hosted by Kyle Lichty. Hey everybody, I'm here with Kristen Recker. How's it going? That's great. How are you? I'm doing well. We've known each other for quite a while. We were friends in Detroit. uh, I want to say like 2009 is probably when we met through our friend, Sarah. Sarah, yes. Yeah. So we've been to a few, uh, not just the times that we hung out with with Sarah and, and other people, but we even went to a show, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And we've kept in contact. You've been abroad for a little bit as well. So yeah, it's great to be back and it's great to see you. You look the same. Uh, I don't know about that, but (laughs) (laughs) you grew up in, at first you grew up in Pontiac, Michigan of all places, Mm -hmm. which is I'm sure interesting in the least. And then Mm -hmm. eventually at some point you moved to Lake Orion, which is another further sub division of Detroit. What it was like to live in those locations as a kid. Pontiac was different. My parents, it was like, that's where they lived right after they first got married. They lived in this little house that they rented from the pastor of the church they were going to. And it was right like next to the church. I was the only, well, we were the only, really probably the only white family like on the block. So it was different. And that's probably conversations for another time, but it was good. And that's where we lived. And for a few years. And then when I was in third grade, we moved to Lake Orion to be kind of closer to my mom's parents. And then, which not that Pontiac and Lake Orion are that far apart, but moved over there, started going to the church they were going to. And then I think there was a Christian school probably that was closer to as well. And so we moved there and lived there. Actually, I mean, my, my parents still live in that general area. So, yeah. Okay. So, when it comes to music, what would you believe, if you can remember, what would be like the first musical memory that you can think of? Oh, the first musical memory would be just singing with my family. Everyone, like my mom plays the piano. Actually, all of my aunts play the piano. My grandma sings. They all sing. I mean, I think pretty much everyone in our family, even those who've married and plays some kind of instrument or has like a lot of interest in music now most of what we sang together was hymns at christmas time (laughs) we do this really terrible rendition of feliz navidad we used to call our one of my uncles her aunt or his wife her family lives in mexico so we would call them and sing that which i would imagine sounded way better in our head than (laughs) we did in real life (laughs) oh man yeah so that was kind of the, I think it's just always been a part of our, my, my life, my family. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a part of your DNA. Yeah, exactly. It reminds me, I apparently, according to my mom, Feliz Navidad was my favorite Christmas song <laughs> as a kid. And I, I'm, That's amazing. I have no idea. No idea why, but. It's a, such a catchy tune and it's like, yeah, yeah. Makes you want to dance. I'm sure the, aha, you know, like yeah. that was. <laughs> appealing to and (laughs) such a great one such a classic yeah yeah 
how cool we felt as Americans to be able to sing in another language. You know, you're we like oh, <laughs> two words in Spanish. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when it comes to uh, your childhood, there's quite a bit of at the time for you, the church is a huge part of your life and, mm-hmm. and your family. And so it's kind of interesting to hear what kind of music influence was on you at that time. Tell us what they were and, and just kind of the, the basics of what it was like in the the household. Yeah. So, you know, growing up when I was probably younger, like before, you know, middle school, I think we listened to mostly like Southern gospel. Actually, that's probably the most of what we had. I remember one time um, I found a Johnny Cash album and I listened to that, but we were pretty like conservative. We weren't really listening to the secular music. And then as I got older, we moved to another church that surprisingly was even more conservative. And we didn't even really listen to Southern gospel, although that wasn't considered like bad music. It was still had like the drums and the guitar, which was not ever something you would find at the church that we went to. In fact, I don't think maybe except a traveling evangelist, there was probably ever a guitar on stage. It was always orchestra And so that's when I would say, I mean, I listened to more like hymns, but classical opera until probably about high school. And then I listened to some contemporary Christian music, but still like pretty conservative because I do remember there were some artists that that was kind of like, oh, it's a little too rocky, you know? (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm aware of those. I'm assuming like the guitar and the drums were viewed in maybe like satanic but something that in similar yeah because i remember even when i was in college one of my teachers was talking about like oh like someday like guitars will be okay in the church because the piano used to be a bar instrument but now we play the bar instrument in church because we've like redeemed it or Hmm. whatever but i don't go to a those i don't go to a fundamentalist church anymore so i can't say that it's fully accepted but i would imagine by now they've decided that the guitar without electricity or not the electric guitar maybe you could hook an amp up to an acoustic guitar (laughs) who knows it just it just always uh baffles me that something that is intentional and whether it's the music and the lyrics together to bring worship and praise to whatever, you know, <laughs> God that you believe in, that that it would be such a viewed in such a, a poor way, I guess. I don't yeah. know. It's just, it's we it's weird to me, even all these years later where I don't even associate with that type of fundamentalist Christian yeah. faith. I mean, I think even in like, I think this extends to the outside of Christianity, but especially in Christianity and like that type, everything, it has to be black and white. And so you just have to draw a line and you're just like, well, I mean, really most of the time we're living in the gray and there's some things, yes, that are probably, yes, there are some things that are right or wrong, but yeah, it's just you, you, when you make your, force yourself to draw a line, the line gets really like curved and squiggly because you don't really know, (laughs) you know, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason to. Yeah. No, I think you bring up a really good point of just like how, even things that are viewed, I would say, more petty, mm-hmm. how the, like those lines get drawn. I just think of like even the reformed churches that are here where I live 
mm-hmm. currently, they split because they disagreed about a psalm like hymnal. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and it just why to me it, and so it's yeah. interesting how that how that kind of stuff can be like you said drawn into a black and white when it it just isn't really necessary. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't matter at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the those uh, CCM type of artists that you were listening okay. to in, in middle school. The likes of Stephen Curtis Chapman, Point yeah. of Grace for him, I'm sure amongst others. So for one, I mean, technically you're branching out at that time because yeah. of what you were listening to prior. Mm-hmm. Talk about what that looked like, the process of branching out. And then also, what was it about those artists that you were appealed to as a adolescent? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, there were other people for so I don't want it to seem like I'm a trailblazer. Okay. I just, there was other people <laughs> listening to that music. I wasn't like taking a stand growing up. It, it wasn't ever that I felt like ostracized. I definitely felt like I had a lot of conversations about music, which I'm sure I, I feel like I blocked out most of them. Cause sometimes when I think about the discussions that I had with people, not just about music, but about the Bible and Christianity in general, we're just so dumb and waste of time that I've blocked out my own stupidity and stupid. But yeah, I think, I mean, I'm guessing it's probably just because it was a fresh new sound. I mean, if all we're singing is hymns and you're listening to, or you're the front of your church is an organ and a, and a piano and you've got just instruments, guitar or not guitars, trumpets and you know, whatever, like an orchestra. Right. You know, that's great, but it's just there's something about, you know, listening to something that's new. I don't I don't think that there's anything really like deeper about it. I don't think like the words spoke to me more than anything or in fact, I was listen- I think I told you this. I was listening to some of the music the other day. I pulled it up and I was just like, oh, my goodness, this is just basically like Jesus love songs. You just <laughs> put Jesus out of it. It's like you're singing a love song, like a. But yeah, I mean, I think that was I don't think there was anything truly like. I don't think I ever subscribed to the notion that like I felt like it brought me closer to God or like it, whatever. I think it just a fresh new sound, a new way to a new sound, I guess. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. You were going to a lot of concerts too of, of these artists. Which yeah. ones were they? And then what was that like to see them live? Yeah. I don't think I would say a lot. I feel like I've been to a lot more concerts after, but okay, I mean, it was fun. You know, it's just like, you know what it's like, live music. It's a good it's show. Best. And when I think back, I remember there were a few times when they would get like a little preachy. <laughs> and I was oh, like, yeah. okay, let's get back to the singing. Because it's just like when you have like a few thousand people, no no one's going to ever agree on every single thing. So sometimes they would, I can't even remember things that they brought up. But I remember one time someone brought up something and I was like, oh, okay. Now I sound like one of those people that tells the musicians to stop talking about politics. <laughs> <laughs> we paid to hear you sing no yeah. that's not how i felt but maybe i did a little did you ever go to a winter jam by chance jam i don't but think i did it would, it'd be like i don't know seven different acts christian yeah. acts that would travel together during the winter uh, in philip arenas and i just remember one one time i went and the, the, they were basically preaching and it was a half an hour and I was just like, let's, 
I want to <laughs> listen to this band. Can we can we wrap this up? <laughs> What's funny about this is that I'm pretty sure that because I'm like a fair amount older than you, that the winter jam thing was probably like way after my time because you probably did that in high school, right? It was middle and high school. Yeah. I, I think they still do it. They're actually. really. Yeah. I did go um, to this thing a few years ago. I don't remember what it was called, but I'm sure it's a similar concept. But it was with a bunch of artists, but they must have all been somehow connected to Hillsong. Oh. And it was like a group of us that had all like kind of grown up in similar backgrounds. We kind of went through this deconstruction period. Then we just decided, oh, we had these free tickets. Let's go. And we were like, none of us sang any of the songs. We just sat there and then the preaching happened. And then we were like, okay, maybe we've outgrown this kind of music where you're just, we don't need to get into a stadium and just, yeah, have this like experience. I I saw this thing the other day that someone posted online. It was like, I used to think that like I experienced God at church because of the music or whatever. And then I went to a live concert and I felt the same thing. And I realized I just like live shows and I'm like, that's yeah. exactly it. I totally resonate with that. Yeah. You mentioned Hillsong, and I, I'm curious, have you seen the uh, yes. the documentary series on that? Yeah. I did that. I listened to a podcast about it. I'm very interested in that because I came from such a conservative church and then moved to Detroit. Yeah. Experienced the same thing in a not-so-conservative format. So I'm kind of have a weird obsession with churches and their cultic tendencies and the way that they've somehow decided that music and preaching equals a business. And then once they decide that anything goes, <laughs> you, can do, yeah. you can do whatever you want, <laughs> especially with no, us. I, I think the, the kind of argument that they presented with being very business like minded uh, mm-hmm. really stood out to me as well throughout that series and similar with, I don't know if you've heard the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Yes. I listened to that podcast similar, just how kind of big picture business mindset they were as well. Yeah. And it's so crazy because like getting back to the music part, that was the part that always struck me and I never had thought about it, but how much money they made off. Yeah. Both of them made off the music that they recorded. And I, yeah, I just, I have a hard time with that. I'm always like, I mean, not to just like veer off into cultic tendencies, but making money off of music, not that you shouldn't be able to pay people and to do things, but when like the average person or a poor person can't afford to go to a Christian concert, can't afford to buy a Bible, can't afford to do (laughs) just gets to be ridiculous. But yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, I don't know if you remember, but the the pastor from Ukraine. Oh, yeah. His explanation of some of the things Mm -hmm. really stood out to me. And I think it goes along with kind of some of the other locations of where it's not Mm -hmm. Sydney or New York City or L.A. that these people don't have uh, the means like Mm -hmm. those other locations. And so just the things that they had to do to be a part of that system network it's just awful to hear mm-hmm. for, all, for the bottom line. Yeah. That's just, I mean, yeah, that's a whole nother thing. I mean, I guess the, I was just going to say earlier when I was trying to think about what I had believed about music in the past, because I remember I thinking it was very like, like a black and white, a moral issue. 
Mm-hmm. But, and I definitely would just probably not say that now, but there is some morality to it when you're adding it into a business and you're making money out of something and you're making it. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, it's a uh, trying to get back on track a little bit, yeah, but I mean, like it, it's, it's relevant. It's still a part of mm-hmm. your story and it has its own connections. I'm just curious what else was going on in middle and high school music wise. Oh man. I don't really feel like I really did much else. I mean, I was in, I mean, I say like I was in choir and I was in band and then at church I did the same things. So it was always a big part of my life. I wasn't singing like contemporary, you know, music or whatever, but I loved it enough that I ended up when I graduated high school, I went to a Christian college, of course, (laughs) Mm. and I studied music and this was even a more conservative place. So we was all we did was classical. Some like hymns that were rearranged. John Rutter was like a big deal there. And then like in our music classes, like we had to take this history of music course. We weren't even allowed. Like they took us to like 20th century music and yeah. then we couldn't like list. So the, it came with this book and it had all these CDs because I'm old. So we'd have to go to this music place called the music library and listen to these yeah. CDs because you would be like, oh, this is what was going on. And, you know, and you'd learn a little bit about the the composers. But once we got to 20th century, we couldn't listen to them. Hmm. We couldn't listen to like Bitches Brew, like any of the jazz stuff that was on there, like anything. You just like even the, the Charleston. I don't think that was on there. But yeah, you probably could have listened to that if it was on it. But it was just very like anything that once you got to like the jazz period and like beyond. Yeah, they were just like, don't listen to these CDs. We can't we would take them away, but we can't because you have some other things on there you need. And then when that was towards the end of my time there, but like when I one of my last semesters there, they ended up saying that they had to split the course into three classes And then they had to do one just on 20th century music because what would happen was people would leave the school and they would go to get their master's somewhere and they would have a hard time getting in because they were like, how do you not know anything about like, gosh, yeah, it's like so embarrassing. And then all of a sudden, then they decided it was okay. So there you go. You're black and white until then they're like, well, yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. Let's talk about college. So you mentioned already a little bit about the, you know, the conservative college that you went to, but you, you come into some bluegrass, like a, like a nickel Creek, yeah. for example, during that time. And I don't know if it necessarily is the start of opening the door for you, but it's, it's definitely not in the, the kind of the foundation of, of what you've already talked about. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when I was in like actual like within the walls of the school, I never listened to it because I would have been kicked out to listen to that kind of music. But definitely when I came home in the summers and when we, when we were in our car, because I guess that was a neutral zone, we listened to other things. Oh, actually, I remember listening to Queen a lot, which I kind of feel like that was probably like angsty for us to be like, we're out of this place that makes us wear skirts and we would just blast it. But yeah, like Nickel Creek, I went to one of their concerts. I feel like it was like a perfect way to like transition because it's like the cleanest, just like the cleanest band ever. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I think sometimes they even probably sang 
like some hymns or whatever. So it felt very, it still felt like it fit within the parameters, I guess, of what I was listening to. I mean, bluegrass has so many classical elements to it that it was, yeah, it wasn't such a far stretch. But I think listening to that, you know, then it's like you hear that and then you're like, oh, I want to hear this other guy, you know, hear the the lead singer, Chris Thiele, or the mandolin player. He then created his own album called How to Build a Woman from the Ground, I think it was called. And uh, he had this song on there. He did a cover of Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground. And then that's when I, then I listened to the original by the White Stripes. And then it was like, from there, it was like, oh, this is amazing. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's check out some of this other stuff. What was it about that particular song that stood out? We've had so many conversations, you and I, about the, the White Stripes and, and mm-hmm. Jack. And th- there's got to be something about that song that just was so monumental for you. Yeah, I think that, I don't know that it was so, I think that, I mean, I think I just liked it. It was different. I mean, because it's not, I mean, obviously it's the story of, about this man who's, I mean, it's not really a story, but a song about this guy who's in love, but it just wasn't like your typical, like sounding song, especially yeah. when I, when you hear the bluegrass version, it sounds kind of peppy and live, but then when you kind of hear the Jack White or the White Stripes version, it's more angsty. But I did remember when I had heard it, that I had a friend from high school who loved them and I felt like that was a, like a way for us to reconnect because we had like both left and gone to college. We didn't really talk. And then I think that that was kind of probably the thing that was probably what really drew me to it. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, and it kind of it kind of gave us like a common ground. And then I ended up loving it just as much as she did. And she actually is the one that like started bringing me down to Detroit. And I would hear other bands like. Oh my gosh, this, I don't even think these people are bands anymore. Blanche. Did you ever listen to Blanche with Dan, Dan and Tracy Miller? Uh -uh. They're so good. It's all Detroit people. And then the hard lessons. I'm sure you've heard the hard lessons. No, you probably haven't. Did you ever go to like a Hamtramck blowout or anything? No, I I wouldn't have been allowed to. I feel like. Oh yeah. Because you were at. (laughs) Yeah. I forgot. (laughs) I was more familiar with like Dan Zott and oh, okay. so the great fiction, junior, mm-hmm. junior, mana and oh, quail, junior, junior. Yeah. Daystro. I don't know if you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, Detroit had such, I'm sure it still does, but it had such an amazing music scene. I was just like anywhere you went, just like a hole in the wall, like, you know, whatever bar, just always great music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I got really, I was, I, we were talking about this earlier, but I forgot now that we've talked about this Dead Leaves on the Jury Around. I think that's probably where most of my music came from after. It was mostly like local stuff. I would go to shows all the time just in Detroit. And I think probably part of the reason was, is, you know, it's like once you meet a group of people that kind of like the same thing, you, you do it together. But I mean, you could go to a show for $10 yeah. and like have a good time. Whereas... I mean, obviously now it's much, much more expensive, but even, you know, back, back then spending 40 or $50 for a show wasn't always something I was able to do. So I did a lot of that. And then around that time, I, I told you this, I had 
purchased Icky Thump and I loved it. That was the last White Stripes album. And my brother had bought me tickets to this concert. He's like, you have to go. I, he had driven all the way to Canada, went to the concert with his friends, said it was amazing, bought us tickets to Chicago. And then like a week before the show, the White Stripes broke up and it was like devastating. I don't know if it was really devastating, but I was really sad about it. Yeah, no, I bet. Yeah. And then around that time, not too long after, I should say, that's when Jack White started the Raconteurs. Yeah. And I bought that. And I really, I really liked them because I also really liked the other guy in the band, Brendan Benson, who Mm -hmm. was somebody also that I heard in Detroit a lot too. They had this, you know, they did their first tour. And I like had wait. I waited. I got there early. I waited in line, even though I don't know why I did, because I told you that I did not buy a ticket on the front because I was afraid that something crazy was going to happen. Like, you know, I don't know what I thought they would do on stage, but I was like, what if they do something bad and I can't get out of there? And so I um, bought a seat in the balcony and I like I don't think I'll ever forget just like sitting there and the song coming on. And just being like, this is the most amazing thing I had ever seen, which I know people are judging me right now because Jack White is kind of controversial as to, I feel like you either love him or you hate him. But for me, yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a good, it was a good memory. It's a good moment. (laughs) What was so appealing about that show? I mean, it just was like, not to like get into the, I don't want to get into the, why people think Jack White isn't great. But for me, it was like. Jack White, he was a good guitar player. Brendan Benson, great guitar player. The guy who was the bass, he was already, I had already heard him in other things. So I kind of was like familiar with them. And then to see like a show that on such like a large stage and like everyone knowing the lyrics. And it's like, I mean, obviously I'd been to concerts before, but like everybody just like the energy, like jumping up and down and like just singing. And, and I think probably what made it so memorable especially was that i had all this fear inside of me that it was going to be this like really like evil place (laughs) but it ended up being not at all that way and just so fun that yeah it's just something that i'll never yeah i'll never forget for sure oh absolutely you know what's interesting i i don't know if you had this but for the longest time i thought it was jack that was singing oh yeah it's mostly brendan benson yeah yeah they have similar similar voices I guess yeah it's just always when that <laughs> happened i was like what yeah that's not, not jack not anymore i went to the last like right before i came home i went to a, a jack white concert in paris and uh nice and his voice like i was it just it's crazy i started to understand why people were kind of over jack white i was like oh, sorry jack <laughs> It was so like, I don't know how to describe it. It was such an amazing show. I mean, we were in this place and I pushed, I never do this, but I pushed my way all the way up, like as far as I could go. Normally I'm just like, these people got here early, but I was like, no, it's a hundred degrees out. (laughs) I did not want to wait outside. Everybody's jumping. The floor was like warping. Like, yeah, it was just crazy. He's, you know, Jack's got more of, a solo career now and mm-hmm. also even the dead weather have those been any anything that you've enjoyed listening to yeah i like the dead weather i listen to them i went to their show it's a fun show 
Jack White's solo stuff. I liked his first two albums. I haven't, I don't know if he released two. I don't yeah. really, I don't really know anything from the new album except probably what I heard at the show. But even then I, if you played it now, I probably wouldn't recognize it. I think the thing that I really like about Jack White and just third man records in general is just the idea that I feel like they do a really good job of, well, I think I appreciate the ethics and the things that go on behind the scenes. Like whenever he talks about music and pricing and for me, I couldn't afford to go to that show because it was $90 a ticket, but then he had it written in his contract that they needed to release a hundred tickets or however many tickets for $33. And so I was able to go and I was like, yeah, so I, I appreciate, so I mean, I still like his music. I love his old stuff. I mean, he still plays White Stripes. The guys in the bands are, they're in his band, are in other bands, and I think they're great. But I think ultimately, I just, I think I should just still have respect for him as a, probably a musician, but mostly as a businessman. I think that he seems like he's kind of remained down to earth and ethical in his, yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that's kind of cool too is how he has been a big proponent of bringing vinyl back as yeah. well within music, even before it was, I think, considered cool. And just to be able to provide more opportunities for that to be pressed and sold is, is mm-hmm. pretty cool because it's, yeah. it's definitely a growing part of the what how people listen to music. Yeah, that's true. And even like, I think his, no, I think, I know all of his albums, even when people weren't really buying vinyl, when he first released them, they, he released them on vinyl. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that is really cool. Who doesn't love a good vinyl record? What would you say is uh, your favorite White Stripes album? Oh, man. I really like Elephant. Yeah. My favorite song is actually on Icky Thump this is where I'm a totally a bad fan because I never remember the names of anything. And I'm always like, clan number four on the B side. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Now I got to look it up. Yeah. I think definitely. I just think that elephant is a fun album. It just, is kind of like different sounding or at least Mm -hmm. for me, it still has some of that Detroit sound. That's the kind of what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I was trying to find the album list at Keith. But I, I think the song that I like is, I don't even know. I can't, I can't think of it. Track four on Icky Thump is Conquest. No. what? It, where, it's not that one. That might be one of my least favorite. Yeah, yeah. Con- Actually, I would agree with you. I think that's probably... That it's was a very, terrible song. Very heavy with the trumpets. And yeah. Yeah, that was fit. weird. He was like trying to do like Detroit meets Mexico. He wanted yeah. to do like a little... Oh, yep. because he is from Mexican Town. West. Oh, wow. Yeah. 20 years later, I put that together. <laughs> <laughs> because of Nickel Creek and, and Jack White with mm-hmm. the White Stripes, you're starting to broaden to other bands that you just never got around to because of your upbringing. Yeah. So the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, amongst other artists. What was it like to encounter those bands at that time i mean it was cool it was embarrassing i feel like i never talked about it because i feel like i was discovering things that people knew about for decades before me (laughs) it's like even sometimes now i mean not so much with beatles but every once in a while i'll walk into a place and i'll be like oh i really like this song and then they'll tell me the artist you know it's like aretha franklin or probably not aretha franklin but you know what i mean like just something and i'm like oh geez i have a lot of 
I should have um, known this. Yeah. <laughs> By the voice alone, I should have known. But yeah, I mean, it's just like it opens up your, it changes. I don't know. Honestly, I mean, I think music does change your worldview. I mean, you listen to the Beatles and then you can like listen to like Kendrick Lamar, or you listen to Jay-Z or you listen to Jack White or whoever, and you kind of see the world through their eyes. So I guess in that way, like music is probably been more influential if you grow up a world where everything is very black and white and this is the way that you believe and this is whatever. And then you kind of start to see how other people experienced life and you realize that your experiences aren't the black and white yeah. <laughs> situations that you think that they are. Yeah. And then, you know, I think also like listening to that kind of like, you kind of listen to the people who inspired the musicians that you're listening to, but then it starts to like make you branch out into like newer music at the time. I got into like Sufjan Stevens. I really like, I was telling you about this band called the Diddy Bops which I still love their first album. I actually started listening to that again. Please listen nice. to it. You'll probably hate it. And then I feel like there's times when I'm just like, I don't want to hear any men. I just want to hear chick voices. <laughs> so then I just listen to like, I really like San Fermin, which I, I know that there's other people in the band, but I really like them. And then don't judge me, but I still really like the first time. The, is it Haim or the Haim sisters? The Wire? Haim. Haim pronunciation but yeah it's fine obviously i've never went to one of their shows i just <laughs> sometimes i just buy albums and then oh there's this other band that i love oh my gosh they're one of my favorites called lucius yeah 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 so i feel like the, i've got a a lot to ask now that you've dropped <laughs> some things what like for you you mentioned several female artists what was gravitating you to that and it's primarily alternative as mm -hmm. well yeah i don't know i guess i just at some point i was like man i listen to a lot of men in music and then someone my my cousin she's a musician in pittsburgh she just started like sending me all of these great chick focused yeah. or centralized music and yeah i just really got into it i love janelle monet she's just one of my favorites and I don't know. I mean, it's the same, like when you start to see other people's worldview, but then when you hear women singing, you just connect to a part of that. Yeah. You know? Right. You know, not, I don't want to like start talking about like oppression or just feeling less than, but yeah, just hearing women kind of like be strong and yeah, kind of take over the roles that men kind of did. I don't want this to sound like too preachy. You know what I mean? It's just, it is still, it's cool when you see, someone rocking out on stage and you didn't always see, you know, see that. Well, I'm sure it was, it was something possibly new for you to, to see for the first time, given that you, your background where you're seeing women calling out the systems, especially within the music industry, mm -hmm. which was heavily male dominated for a long time. And in many ways still is. Yeah, that's true. And I guess that would be kind of speaking even to like the Christian side of things. Cause you don't really see, very many times that women were up in front of people. So seeing yeah. women who had the courage to do that. And I don't mean like courage as in like there was fear, but like, you know, just getting up in front of people and singing and sharing parts of yourself is just, it's just a hard thing to do. Yeah, totally. Yeah. During this kind of college post-college time, you were listening to two other female artists from they're more older in mm -hmm. terms of when they were, 
dropping their music, but it'd be Joni Mitchell and Carol King. And I'm curious, what was it about these singer songwriters that were appealing to you during that time? I think it just, in all honesty, I think that I don't know that it was like lyrics or whatever, but they're just kind of, for me, like when I think of like Nickel Creek and I think of Joni Mitchell and Carol King, they still kind of were like, it's almost like a gateway drug. You know what I mean? It's just kind of, it doesn't, it doesn't push you so outside of, it didn't push me so far outside of my, um, my upbringing where I felt like I was kind of like bucking tradition, you know, because mm-hmm. in those days at the beginning, even when I had left college and I was starting to like question things and I still was very much like, I just always was kind of a rule follower, obviously listening to music that wasn't necessarily approved, isn't following the rules, but I still kind of was like, staying within this realm of the sound that seemed somewhat acceptable. Yeah. Cool. We've talked a little bit about, you know, more Jack White and some of the other artists that you're listening to, but you're really still going to concerts and you're seeing a lot of hip hop artists even during that time. And I'm curious, who are they? And then also just what was the part that for you, that why you were now, I feel like not playing it safe. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, I think it was just the, so I had this job and they had like a suite at one of those, like at an arena and it just was always free. And so they, whenever they had concerts, but nobody ever wanted to go to the hip hop concerts. And I was like, Oh, I'll listen to rap. Let's do it. Let's just hear what this is, you know? And I did Jay-Z. I went to Kanye a couple of times I did Big Sean. I was at Big Sean when Kanye came out stay on stage and sang Click. I was with J Mac. Wow. You know he lost his yeah. mind. Oh my goodness. And yeah, it just that was a, a drop of a name. Yeah. Yeah. I just I think it started like helping me appreciate different kinds of music. You know, I mean, yeah. not that Jay-Z and you know Kanye, like his older stuff is I mean, obviously it's great music, but I just never listened to it. I never thought about it. But yeah, I mean, just such great shows and like the thought that goes behind it, especially like, I don't know if you ever went to a Kanye West show, like no. he just, he puts, I haven't been to obvious anything recently. So his like, I think he's just does gospel now. Right. Or I don't know. I've been out of this. I mean, he did gospel and then he did recently release more back to the, the hip hop. Oh yeah. I think you're right. That show was amazing. There was like, I can't even describe it, but I just was like, there's so much thought and as much as at the time, even now, everybody had talked about Kanye, I was like, he really does. He has an artistic mind in the way that he produces his shows. He's out of control right now. Yeah. I stopped. I stopped reading his stuff. I just. It's it's really sad. It is really sad. It's sad. Also, the like obsession that I just stopped. I mean, not that I never click on like a gossip article every once in a while I do, but I just stopped reading that stuff. Cause I'm like, we just have an obsession with mental illness and like, just, I don't know. I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to hear it anymore. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I went, I did that, those concerts back to the, and then I, t- I think I told you that I went to Coldplay and we went, to, I think we said we went to arcade fire together, Yep. which I had listened to them before, but. Yeah, I think I feel like there was just a time where I just like anything live. I'm there. I'll experience. I went to Ed Sheeran. I mean, come on. <laughs> what was that like? That was fun. His songs are it's just poppy. But he's like, yeah, 
I mean, anyone who can get up there and sing and put on, I mean, I, I've yet to go to a live show. That's not true. There was one show I went to. I can't remember what it was, but my roommate wanted to go and it was like country. And I was like, I never want to go to a country show ever again, but everything else I would do. Yeah. Yeah. Just not new country. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not new country. I don't, it just, I don't know what it is about it. It's just so trashy. (laughs) Sorry. No, I, I mean, I got asked just a day or two ago about why I don't listen to country from one of my students. Really? So, yeah. In Holland, people are listening to. I don't know if that particular student listens to country, oh, okay. uh, but I think they were curious what I don't listen to. And oh. so, and then, you know, just we had a further conversation about it and just talking about how uninspiring some of the lyrics can be and just how. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's also something I, I don't connect with mm-hmm. uh, personally, that kind of lifestyle and, and mindset of the main topics that usually get covered in those songs. Yeah, that's true. It's, it is very objectifying. And I wouldn't just say of women either, just of certain light, like the way they want their life to be. And I don't know, it just is very, that's true. I didn't think about it like that. I just always thought it was, I, I just didn't like the sound. Yeah. That can be unappealing too, I think, especially with how more uh, poppy it's become. Yeah, that's true. But then like when it's super twangy, Mm -hmm. it's not my jam either. So yeah. Sorry, country. You always get the, I'll listen to everything, but country, everybody says it. Not everybody, but so many people do. (laughs) In the recent years, you've lived in Paris for what would have been like two years, right? Two years. Which is crazy to think about what was uh, the music scene like there even the uh during the the pandemic i mean there wasn't anything because while you guys were over here doing nothing <laughs> to stop the pandemic i mean some of you were we were so when i got there it was right after the first so they called it confinement and so then you know whatever we stopped the world stopped in march July, yeah. they decided that they would let everyone come back into the country. And not everyone. They would decided that they would let people come into the country if they were going to school or like a few other exceptions. And so when I went there, I felt like everything was open for a couple of weeks and then it shut down. And so there was like a six o'clock or a seven o'clock curfew. So there was nothing. I would go to wow. class and I would come and sit in my room. So maybe there was some underground scene, but I mean, they were giving tickets out. So I would imagine that it wasn't even possible and it wasn't until probably the within the last nine or 10 months where I feel like concerts started picking up. And this is where I said, it's so hard to talk about because really music was such a minor part of my life for the past few years because I worked, you know, I worked in a pastry shop and then I worked in a restaurant and you're just working five days a week, especially in the restaurant. I was working till one in the morning. Right. And then it was like, when I wanted to go to a show, it was always on a day that I was working and it's not really, I wasn't really in a position to be like, I need to take a day off. It's just not really an option. So I did go to two concerts. I talked about Jack White and then I went to go see, my gosh, I'm such a terrible person. Why can I not remember the concert that I went to? Somebody gave me the tickets. That's why, but it was another big, another big show. It was more like jazzy type music. Okay. I don't remember who it was, but yeah, it was great. And I felt like everything that I went to 
which was only two shows. But when I read Walk by the Place, I mean, it was just packed out. You could just tell everybody was just so excited to be back. Yeah. Like, yeah, doing large shows again. Did you ever have any experiences at work or other locations that involved uh, music? Because when I visited Paris, mm-hmm. you know, there were musicians all over the streets and all sorts of different ways yeah. in which I was listening to music. But I'm just curious what, what your experience was, especially during the, the pandemic. Those, uh, those two years of so, things being shut down. Yeah, I did see some live musicians. It didn't happen very often because for a while it was like when there wasn't the cur- when there was still a curfew, but you could go outside. It was like you could only be a few kilometers from your house and you had to like fill out this. They called it an attestation. Okay. So like if you got stopped by the police, then they could say, see like where you lived and mm-hmm. like where you were going, which now that I talk about it, it seems so crazy. But well. Uh, so Coming from America, it would sound crazy. Yeah, that's true. Sounds but, communist. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was it was a bit extreme, but yeah, they didn't have as many cases. But they, I would say, like probably a little over a year and or a little less than a year into being there, then live musicians started coming out as curfew started getting later, and they removed those restrictions. So there was those musicians that were sitting on the bridge playing La Vie en Rose like yeah. a bajillion times. But I mean, just a handful of times, I didn't see it that much. It wasn't until like the last few months that I was there because that's when everybody decided that Paris or Italy was where they were going for their vacation, which I'm sure you've noticed every one of your friends on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Then I feel like there was more, you know, music. I mean, I think, yeah, people are now dropping money in there before it was probably a waste of time to for just the locals. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just such a, it's a hard thing because I was there in a time that was unprecedented and it was great. But yeah, I I do feel sad. Like there were so many like jazz clubs and things that I was like, oh, I'm going to go there and it just never happened. Yeah. Anymore. It's okay. It's a bummer. I just remember one time when I was in Paris, we had tickets to go to the, the Eiffel Tower. Mm-hmm. And so... And it was one of the times where we decided, let's let's take a cab. <laughs> and that was crazy. I kid you not, you know, these four lane, five lane boulevards or whatever. Yeah. And we were we were probably going 70 miles per hour in really in traffic. And I was holding on for dear life. Where were you coming from? Notre Dame was right across from my B and B. Right at so Oh, okay. Yeah, I lived over uh, there. I forget what it was called, but at the Shakespeare bookstore was right below us. Oh, yeah. And oh, that's cool. Right, right across the river, it's Notre Dame. Yeah. So So you got to see it before it was burnt down. Yeah. Or before it partially burned. That's cool. Right. But that road that kind of goes along the, is it the sign or scene? The sun. Sen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were going along that road to get to the Eiffel Tower. and Yeah. Oh, yeah. my word. And it, it's just crazy the people are going like that with bicyclists, yes. motor, motorbikes, all also along those roads. I, it just baffled me that <laughs> what was going on. Yeah. So. I don't think I ever, yeah. I never experienced that. I'm surprised they were going so fast. But I will say that I only saw in the two years that I was there, I only saw two car accidents and they were right around that area. So I guess it doesn't surprise me. Jeez. 
Yeah. I was going to ask you when you said four lanes, I was like, did you ride around the Arc de Triomphe? I did. You yeah. You did? That was awesome. That's so incredible. Yeah. I took a, like a, you know, a, the double decker bus, like oh, tour. Nice. Okay. So went down the, what is it? The, oh, the street Champs-Élysées. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Went down that on Rouge. Yeah. And so all of those places normally have like musicians. Yeah. But, now, but when I was there, there was like no one. I, when I did hear music, it was normally by Notre Dame over by where you were staying. They would just set up a piano like right along because Notre Dame now is all fenced off. You can't go oh. in there. It's just musicians would just bring their pianos out and just like, yeah. Interesting. It was pretty cool. What are you uh, currently listening to? Oh, man. What's your um, day listening look like? I actually don't really listen to that much music. Every time I'm always like starting to like create a, a mix, I just end up like just whatever, just doing a mixture of. A lot of it, I think I was telling you this, that the chef that I worked with in Paris, she always had like these like kick-ass remixes of, and so a lot of it's just that. It's like a mixture of like, there's some Motown in there. There's like some Lizzo. There's a lot of like girl chick band stuff. I don't know what it is. Well, I do know. I think it's because we did that and we were hustling. So whenever I'm cooking, I'll sometimes play that just to like make myself like speed up and but I haven't really gotten into the music scene. I just like, I got back at the end of August and I've just been doing like a whirlwind tour of like visiting family. So now I think once life gets a little normal, I also live with my parents, embarrassingly enough, while I'm, you know, kind of getting resituated before I, and so uh, they don't really appreciate the same kind of music that, that I do. So it's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You come back more to the, what it, used to be as a kid yeah. oh my goodness yeah my mom was sitting at the piano the other day playing some hymns and i was like okay this is where we are I can, <laughs> I can appreciate this but yeah i think that's where i've probably just been going back to like the older stuff like i was telling you i was listening to diddy bops yeah i listened to some old like white stripes i've been listening to some like beatles and like i don't know what it is i think it's because so much of my life has been so crazy and changing and nothing I still don't like I changed my career now I'm back here trying to figure out what are the next steps and I think it's just comforting to listen to things that I know and can like yeah not I don't know what it is it stresses me it doesn't stress me out to listen to new music but I started thinking about other things but when I hear something I know I'll like kind of really pay attention to it yeah well I I know from conversations with others and and just the things that I've read up on, like, you're not the only one. Like, oh, really? Yeah. A lot of people since 2020, they're reverting back to what's familiar, what, what they know. And then the, the data shows it and backs it up on things like Spotify. And because majority of songs that are listened to were five years or older. So it's a uh, crazy. Yeah. How that, because of, in a lot of ways that the pandemic, how that kind of just mm-hmm. changed listening habits. Yeah, that's true. I'm interested to see even like moving forward, how the pandemic will affect, you know, new albums, because I think yeah. all of our outlook on the world has changed, even not just the pandemic, but you know, now there's a war and to see how that affects people's view of the world or view of music or what the, what its role is. So Yeah. What is it about music that, makes us listen to it why do we as humans enjoy it (laughs) oh that's like a loaded question 
man, I don't know. I mean, I do know. I think that there's like, it's like we joke, I think at some point all of us joke about having like a soundtrack for our life and, but it's because like, it kind of covers all of the emotions, you know, there's anger, you know, there's songs that kind of like get us all angsty and make us burn things. Some of us burn things down. Um, (laughs) And then, you know, there's the songs that are, you know, just fun and like remind us what it's like to be a kid or to not really care what other people think. I also think it's really like healing because a lot of times we don't like talk about our personal experiences in life. Maybe we don't share them with everybody. And like I was, I think of like Sufjan Stevens, Carrie and Lowell. Yeah. yeah, I listened to yeah. that and I had experienced some losses in my life. Not people like what he was singing out, but I listened to that album like probably every day for months and just would like cry. And, you know, so it kind of gives us like this freedom to feel our emotions, which mm-hmm. we turned off a lot, you know. So, I mean, yeah, it's fun, but I guess, I mean, maybe it's mostly a me thing, but. As someone who shuts down their emotions, it's nice to have a place that kind of reminds you that you're human and it's those feelings and your beliefs are important and you need to feel them and and live into them. Yeah. Well, Kristen, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack with Kyle Lichty. Each person interviewed has created a playlist of the very songs that have impacted their life. If you are interested in listening to their playlist, you can head straight to our website at soundtrack.fireside.fm. Click on Soundtrack Playlist and it will take you straight to their playlist on Spotify. If you like the podcast and want to know more, check out our Instagram at Soundtrack Podcast or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Join us next time on Soundtrack.